and Jill. Welcome to the weekly Mia Thrives podcast, where we talk to those living life to the fullest, living with the rare skin disease, epidermolysis bullosa. We hope you weigh in on our Facebook forum where the conversation continues. Let's talk thriving with EB. Hello, Mia Thrives listeners. Welcome to season four. We're so thrilled that you're here with us again. We decided to um, start the season with a season three guest who actually has some pretty exciting updates in her life and is willing to share so much with us. So please join Emily, baby Milo, (laughs) and I in welcoming Shivani back to the Mia Thrives podcast. Excited to have you and to chat about your pregnancy. So congratulations! Um, and yeah, we're, we're you've been posting the cutest pictures of your baby bump. Um, and yeah, we would just love to hear a bit about your experience with baby number three. Oh, thank you guys. Hi, Jill. Hi, Erin. Hello, Milo. We can hear you there. Um, I'm so happy to be back. I'm always glad to chat with you guys. And yeah, oh my gosh, who thought I'd be here with baby number three? I mean, this was this one was really unplanned. Um, I didn't expect this one at all. It was like, you know, I didn't think about it. I was completely completely done after baby number two I was like that's it you know I've got my girl I've got my boy and you know I'm happy we aren't going to try again and um I was yeah I was you know to be honest I was disappointed when I found out because there's just so much going on at the time I had just lost my grandmother um Mm -hmm. like two weeks before I found out that I was pregnant with this baby and so there was just so much going on, you know, I was not in a good space emotionally and then to find out that, we're, you know, that you're pregnant and um, I think I, you know, just going and attending her funeral and that kind of thing. And I'd forgotten that my period was late, like I didn't realize, you know, with, with everything that was going on with, you know, her funeral yeah. and her passing that my period was late. And so when I came back home, um, you know, after all her rituals and that kind of thing was done. Like, I had all the symptoms of, okay, my period's going to come any day now. And I'm, like, waiting, and I'm moody, and I'm irritable, and, you know, I was very snappy. And I kept saying to my husband, like, my back is sore, and, you know, my breasts are sore, and my tummy is sore, and, like, everything's just aching, and I'm tired, but my period's not coming. And he's like, no, I'm sure it will come. Because, you know, we had been careful, and we'd been safe, and we didn't plan this one at all. And, um... I think I'll remember so clearly, it was a Friday morning, and I was like, you know what, I got up, and um, I ran to the bathroom because I needed to pee so bad, and I was like, wait a second, I still have a test from when I did a home test for when Jonah, when I found out I was pregnant with him, like I bought a two-pack test pack, and I still had one left, and I was like, wait, let me go grab this test, and I'm just going to do a home test and just check, because, you know, I don't know why my period is not coming. And I tested, and I least expected it to be positive. But that line showed up so quick. Oh, and my gosh. To my husband, he's like, look what you did. <laughs> I was like, so upset. It's like, I can't believe this is happening again. <laughs> and I think he was shocked. He's like, are you for real? I'm like, yeah, you did. And I showed him the test. <laughs> he was like, I think he was down part. We both just sat there for a few minutes, like, quietly. And then I got up and I went outside and I sat outside and I came back in and I was pacing and he's like, I can see the stress. Like, I can see this is stressing. I'm like, I am. Like, I can't believe this has happened again. And he's like, you know what, whatever it is, we'll deal with it. You know, we'll take it in our stride. And he sounded a little bit excited. Like, he sounded like he was so cool about it. And I was the one that was like, no, like, this can't be happening again. Well, because you're the so one who has to go through it. <laughs> I went through, you know, I really went through those emotions at that time. And, you know, there's so many things. I was scared. I was worried. And, you know, I think the moment you find out, I'm sure you've been through this as well, and you think, oh, my gosh, like, you know, there's the whole thing about, you know, is the baby going to have EB again? Um, how is my body going to handle another pregnancy? Because the first two really, really deteriorated my condition overall. Not just the EB, but... You know, I, I was diagnosed last year with, with severe, severe osteoporosis, and we were supposed to start treatment for that around the same time that I found out I was pregnant. 
Um, and I've had this conversation with my doctor just weeks before that. And he's like, you're not planning on having any more kids, right? I'm like, no, 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 like no more kids. He's like, okay, because if we start treatment, um, it's not conducive for pregnancy. And obviously if you get pregnant at any time during the treatment, we'd have to stop it. And that kind of thing I was like, no, we don't even have to worry about that. Like, you know, that's not happening. And then I had to call him and say, you know, actually we can't start treatment. Then he's like, oh my gosh, you know, are you really going to do this again? And I said, well, it's already done. And he's like, okay, you know, the best we can do is just put you on multivitamins and, you know, up your vitamin D because the treatment was going to be quite hectic. I was supposed to start um, subcutaneous um, of a drug called Forteo, which is a daily injection. And um, they had to go in aggressive because my DEXA scores um, from the last scan I did was so, so, so bad. So my osteoporosis is like really, really, really bad. Um, and again, I'm like, how is my bones going to handle it? How's my back going to handle all of this weight with the baby? You know, there was other drugs that I've been taking, EB related things and stuff for pain, and, um, stuff for nerve pain, inflammation. Like there was so many things that I was on and I was like, I'm going to have to stop all of this now because of you know being pregnant with baby these things are not good for pregnancy so Mm -hmm. there was so much to consider apart from the whole emotional side of it you know i was really worried about how my body was going to handle this time i mean two two took a lot out of me but three like i couldn't even picture it yeah well oh my gosh like what uh that's such a crazy story and it's like i guess like kind of a happy accident like now your family seems over the moon but yeah, I feel like sometimes like our partners are so excited about it, but you know, it's not their bodies that have to to go through it. Also, I just have to apologize for the crying in the background. Milo is um is here as a little um podcast assistant today and he's being a, a bit of a, a fussy fellow. But are your how are your kids? Are they like so excited now to have um have another sibling and yeah, that's a good question. So my daughter, she's she's older now, so she's turning eleven soon, um, and she was not happy at all. Like she, <laughs> she was so upset, and we had to, you know, we broke the news to her first because she was older. Um, and my son was he's he's turning three um, at the end of this month, so he's still you know a little barbecue. But um, she was not happy. You know, she's like she was always telling us, you know, I don't want another sibling. And you know, I think from being an only child for so long to going to having little, a little brother, and he's all in her business all the time. And you know, he wants to play with her, and she's kind of out of that stage now. She's in that very preteen sort of diva stage. And he's like this little kid that's like holding on to her stuff and wants to play with her. And she's so over that, like she's not having any of it. So we had to tell her and she was like, no, not again. And she crying. And she's like, I can't believe this is happening again. And we're like, you know, it's okay. It'll be okay. And, you know, we just gave her a few days to like settle in and accept the news. You know, we try with both kids. I think we try to include them as much as we possible. So with my last scan, um, we took them with. And uh, she got to see baby on screen. And my son was like, for a second, he's like, you know, like, didn't really know what was going on. And we were trying to show him, you know, this is the baby. And he's like, he's like, he wasn't having it either. He was running around the doctor's rooms. Um, but he was really cute about it because he, you know, we, we said to him, you know, there's a little baby in mommy's tummy. And so he'll come up and he'll like hold my belly and he'll give it little kisses. And he's like, where's my brother? And he keeps asking every day now, where's my brother? When's he coming? Like, no, he's still got a long time to cook. You know, he, he can't come out anytime soon. He's got a long time more. So he sees the tummy getting bigger and, you know, he like comes and he's so loving and he's so sweet about it. And, but I think he's getting impatient. You know, he's like, I keep hearing about this baby, but where's this baby? Like, I'm not seeing this baby. So, um, you know, I don't know how he's going to deal when baby actually comes because mm-hmm. he's very attached to his dad. Yeah. Um, and, you know, I think he'll be fine with me, but I think with his dad, he, it's going to be like a big adjustment because um, as soon as his dad like carries another baby or like my, my cousin was up here um, last year and she's got twin boys and I'm five months old. And we took him to visit the twins. And, you know, as soon as I picked the one baby up, she's like, mommy, let's go home now. So he was like, <laughs> you know, the jealousy jealous. kind of kicked in. 
Yeah, so I think he's he's gonna go through that little period of adjustment, you know, when baby was born, and yeah. you know, having to accept that this one's not going anywhere, like he's here to stay. <laughs> um, but I think it's gonna be really cute, you know, the age gap between them that he'll have like a little friend that he's gonna be growing up with, because yeah. I think he does get lonely now with Gabby being much older. Um, but yeah, he was he was very cute about it, and he in the beginning, we you know, we'd ask him, "What do you want? Do you want a brother or a sister?" And he's like, I want a brother and a sister. I was like, no, no, no. There's only one baby in here. So you've got to choose. Um, and then when we found out it was a boy, um, we started saying, you know, it's my brother. But he's so cute about it now. Everything's like my brother this and my brother that. And my brother's in mommy's tummy. Like he tells his teachers at school, you know, mommy's got a baby in her tummy. And he's really, really cute about it now. Oh, that's so sweet. And I bet your daughter will be excited like when the baby's actually here and she gets to hold him and i'm sure at that point then she'll she'll be over the moon about it too um something i was curious to ask you because it was something that i also went through um when i was pregnant and it might be a nice thing to chat about for any listeners who are thinking about starting their family or growing their family and it can be such a a tricky decision for for mamas with eb is um did you decide if you were going to do any sort of genetic testing like while you were pregnant like a amnio or a cvc test yeah that's a good one em um so here we are very limited with with what testing we can do Mm -hmm. so they can do an amnio um but i think my doctor had said at the time that they'd need to send the samples overseas Mm -hmm. to determine if baby had eb and with COVID, they aren't really doing a lot of tissue sending and sampling and that kind of thing Mm -hmm. um also i was never keen with all you know with the first two and with this one i was never keen to do anything that was going to be invasive yeah so i was really really worried about um you know putting a needle in like an amnio is pretty invasive so all we did we did um, the usual blood tests mm-hmm. um, and, uh, you know, like the, the normal stuff for like Down syndrome, um, just the usual battery of tests, the prenatal test that you get. And that's what they really test through blood. Is that correct? Mm-hmm. Yes. And that was just blood. So that was just drawing of blood. And we did that. Um, but I, I really wasn't keen to do anything that was going to be um, invasive or pose any risk to either myself or more especially to the baby because, um, yeah, I, you know, I think with the mindset with all three was, you know, um, we whatever the results were going to be, whether it was going to come back, you know, EV or not, if we were to do it, we weren't going to terminate. And I think that's generally what you know, I think if you're thinking of doing the testing, you've got to have that in the back of your mind. Like, if it comes back and you know something is going to be wrong, even if it's not EB, if it's Down syndrome, or, you know, if they pick up anything that's wrong with baby, um, are you going to continue the pregnancy? Because that's generally what they ask you. And that's yeah. the main reason behind doing the testing, is to be prepared for those kind of things. And we knew from the start already that, um, you know, we weren't, we, we wouldn't be, um, keen on terminating mm-hmm. uh, you know pregnancy like with whatever it is we'd carry on with it but it would have helped to be more prepared in knowing yeah um also in my case i think because it's recessive dystrophic EB, the chance is very very low even though there is a chance mm-hmm. it is still it's a very low chance and, and, and what of, is that you know banking it is a low chance yeah mm-hmm. because i think how it would work is my husband would need to carry the gene as well Okay. And we're banking on the fact that with my son, he's fine. He's had no, um, you know, he doesn't have EB at all. My daughter doesn't have EB at all. So mm-hmm. um, when we kind of, test, you know, sat down and did a bit of genetic counseling, they said that the risk would be very low. Yeah. But obviously he'd need to get, if, you, if we'd want like a, a definite, definite answer, he'd have to get tested. We'd yeah. have to do genetic testing on my husband. And again, sending tissues, tissue samples overseas is number one extremely costly and two covered they're not keen on doing that kind of thing at the moment so it's you know it's again a, a waiting game and preparing for the worst i think i did this with both pregnancies and i, I know we tried when you were pregnant with milo it was kind of the same mindset where you prepare for the worst yeah. worst case scenario but hope for the best yeah and that's 
what we're doing at the moment, yeah. Mm -hmm. Well, I can totally relate to that because I feel like that's how I felt through pregnancy too, just hoping for the best, preparing for the worst. Um, and I was also on the fence about getting an amnio test um, just because of the, you know, there's like often a one in a thousand chance of a miscarriage. So um, I know it sounds like a small small percent, but I think since it was, you know, it was 2020, that was quite a, quite a crazy year for everyone. So it was like, you know what, with the luck that we've been having this year, I'm not taking any chances. Um, yeah. But for me, I wanted to know, like, the reason I considered getting the test so much was actually because of the delivery. So um, since with DDEB, there's like a lot of a, like there's a higher chance that the baby could have had EB, it's 50-50 chance. Yes. So the reason why I was debating so much getting the test was um, for the delivery of the baby. Um, because from, there was actually this really great study that was done in Australia um, about pregnancy and that a lot of women with EB were actually able to have natural births, which was kind of what I hoped for. But if you don't know if the baby has EB or not, if there's any issues um, with the delivery, um, the doctors aren't able to do the normal things they, they would to help get the baby out. So they can't use forceps, they can't use the, like, the vacuum because it right. could really damage the baby's skin. So I guess I was a little worried. I'm like, okay, well, if I try a natural birth, there's no going back then. Like, there's, mm -hmm. if I had any issues, I had no other choice but to just get the baby out myself. So I was a little, a little worried about that. Or it would have just turned into an emergency C-section. Um, so, yeah, that was kind of one of the big things that I was, like, considering. Um, but I just kind of... Uh, decided to to hope for the best and and see how it went and then I was I was pretty lucky and the birth did go go it went I think as well as it could have gone yeah that's good to know and I can I can completely you know everything you've said there was was my thought process with the previous two deliveries mm -hmm. as well exactly the same um, reasoning that I opted to go for C-section both times. Um, I think also we were worried about the trauma um, that it might cause to the birthing canal. So that yeah. was like the one thing that I was really, really worried about. Um, but more so, you know, for baby, like you said, if anything does go wrong, they can't use a vacuum or forceps or anything to try and, and, and um, get baby out. And I'm tiny, like my, you know, when they look at me, like my, my hips are really, really small. So from the beginning, the doctors had advised, you know, C-section is just probably the best way to go. It's more planned. Yeah. Um, you know, we can better prepare the team because it's not just us and the doctors. You've got to think about the whole team that's going to be in that delivery room and they all need to be prepared. So the preparation in advance, I think, makes a really, really big difference. And I learned from going through such a nightmare experience with my daughter to the way we did things with my son was completely different and his delivery was seamless you know mm -hmm. um, we had no problems whatsoever everyone was fully prepared um the nursing staff in the the maternity ward knew what to expect afterwards and they weren't pushy with me you know in terms of forcing baby on the breast um and like uh you know just like even the, in the way that we handled him we we i'd said you know at least for the two or three days that I'd be in hospital, we've got to just keep an eye out all the time for signs. So we didn't put the ID bands mm -hmm. on his hands. Um, you know, we turned all seams inside out. So all of his clothing and stuff was turned inside out. So there was no seam rubbing against his skin. We put socks on his feet. So everything that we could do to prepare just in case, you yeah. know, um, he was going to bless at some stage. We, we did. We tried to protect his skin as much as possible, even straight after birth, you know, in terms of what they wiped him down with. We, you know, they normally rub with, with towels, and um, I'd ask them to please not use um, anything too rough. So they mm -hmm. just use like the softer theater sheets and that kind of thing. Um, and we used a lot of baby oils. I made sure like there was lubricant in the delivery room. Um, even with me in, in uh, you know, around the C section type, um, well, where they, where they cut because. Um, the 
I don't know if you, I'm sure you would have felt the same, Em. Um, the doctor's gloves actually end up sticking to the skin and pulling off skin. So mm-hmm. when they were working in that area, I found that um, there was a lot more blistering um, and peeling of skin from just where the doctor's gloves had touched me as opposed to, you know, the instruments and stuff that they were using. So I'd asked with my son's delivery to please make sure that they lubricate the area nicely and mm-hmm. we had Vaseline and baby oil and that kind of thing in there. And that made a big difference. But yeah, I think in terms of just being more prepared, um, C-section was going to be the way way to go for me. Yeah. Um, and definitely with this one, we'd go the same way. Yeah. yeah. And I think it also is reassuring to know that the doctor who's followed you and, you know, knows about EB and um, is the one to deliver the baby. So that was... That was something that made me nervous when I like decided to try for a natural birth. Um, but what I actually ended up doing, um, and it, and I feel like it was ended up being a great decision for me, was I got induced um, like a week before my due date. Um, and I was already having signs of early labor. Um, so the doctor was like, I think the baby's coming soon anyways. But at least we knew, okay, baby's coming now. And... Um, that my doctor was like working the whole next day so that she would hopefully be the one to deliver the baby. Um, so it was great because it ended up, the labor ended up going then really fast. My doctor was there um, and it was definitely peace of mind for me because she had also, you know, spent nine months with me learning about EB. And although she didn't previously know about EB, I think after having me as a patient, she she turned into an expert just from from dealing with me and from you know reading different articles I sent her, and she was like really amazing and open and like wanting to learn about EB. So that was really reassuring for me that she she delivered the baby. And similar to you, that when Milo was born. We were prepared to treat him like he had EB for two weeks until we got the genetic testing back. Because, um, yeah, sometimes babies, they don't present right away. Sometimes it can even take two weeks. Um, yeah. So we were we were so careful. Um, same thing, like we had brought our own blankets that are, like, softer than the hospital ones that can be kind of rough. Um, and we brought... Um, like sheepskin for his bassinet to put him in the the baby bassinet and like really soft clothing and um, we wanted to just have like the least amount of contact with his skin so we even ended up getting like the blood taken from his umbilical cord like right after I gave birth so that was something like we had to set up before but it was great because then he didn't end up needing to get any blood taken um like he didn't have any pricks on his skin um and then that was the blood that was sent um for the genetic testing so um that was that was good i'm glad that i knew about knew to ask for that um because it was another kind of peace of mind that we didn't know if he had eb yet and it was nice for him not to have to get a bunch of blood taken and needles and whatnot um but yeah then we just had to wait then we just had to wait and and be careful and and hope for the best and we were already thankful that it wasn't like a one of like the worst case scenarios that we were preparing for because sometimes babies with eb are born right away without any skin on their leg or on their back or so that was kind of one of the things that we were prepared for with baby bandages and so right away we were very thankful oh bless you milo okay the baby is sneezing so yeah we were we were very thankful right away um that it wasn't wasn't a worst case scenario right milo yeah yeah that was i think that was interesting that you mentioned about the the cord blood and i think that's uh probably a very valuable piece of or advice or you know a hint for any other moms that might be um navigating pregnancy with eb is to um kind of think about those things because we we actually had done the same thing so 
we didn't want needles put in him and all of that um, is exactly the same as what you had done. And um, so they used his cord blood and we also ended up banking his cord blood for the stem cells. Um, and my reasoning, you know, during pregnancy was that if it ended up being worst case scenario that maybe in, you know, a couple years time, if technology improves, because I know they are doing research into using stem cells um, for treating mm -hmm. EB and that kind of thing. So we were like, okay, you know, maybe it might be beneficial to bank the stem cells. And, you know, if he, you know, if he's fine and if he and doesn't end up using it, um, we could probably even still end up using it for me. So we sat down and, you know, with the, the genetic team at um, the place where we did the cord banking, and they had mentioned to us that there are several um, tr uh, trials that they're doing with stem cells in EB. So I'd asked, you know, at that point, you know, would I be able to use baby stem cells? And they said, John, you'd be like 100% match because obviously it's coming from you. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, mm -hmm. with siblings and husbands and that kind of thing, I think the the numbers drop, it's like a 50 or 25% chance that they'd be able to use it. But overall, we just thought it would be beneficial at some point in the future. Um, and we're hopeful that if, you know, the technology does come here eventually, that we'd be able to use those stem cells to help treat my EB, you know, yeah. in the long run. And I think with this baby, we're considering, you know, banking again. Um, but yeah, it just depends on you know, how we feel more towards the end because we've got Jonas themselves that's um, already banked. So we probably will end up banking this one. But yeah, mm -hmm. it's, it's something we're still thinking about. Yeah. Well, that's very interesting. That's something I actually didn't even know was possible to bank it. So it's definitely something that I want to look into if that's something we also do here, here in Canada. Um, what year, I'm curious to hear what your experience has been, but for me, um, during pregnancy, my skin was the best it's ever been in my whole life. It was crazy. Like, I went months without, like, having a section of my body bandaged. Like, I had, like, I wasn't using anything. It was crazy. My skin was, like, so clear, so amazing. And then postpartum... And also, like, my skin stretched really well. I didn't have any issues with, like, my stomach blistering. It was all good. But then as soon as postpartum hit, I had, like, a huge flare-up. Then I got, like, a bunch of stretch marks postpartum, I guess, from my body kind of going back. And, like, all of those stretch marks, like, blistered. Um, and I got, like, just, like, these crazy blister rashes, like all over my back and my stomach and my neck and um, and was like the itchiest I've ever been. <laughs> um, so it was postpartum was really, really, really challenging for me. Um, and I am like slowly like getting better. Um, but it's kind of interesting how, you know, pregnancy ended up going so well. And it was, you know, po postpartum for me that was really challenging. Um, but then I was kind of doing some research and I saw that like a, a lot of women with like conditions postpartum since their body's just been through so much and you know they might be a bit sleep deprived and so it's kind of like can be quite common for things to flare up around that time. Um, so yeah, I'm getting back to feeling like myself um, but I feel like it's gonna take a while for things to kind of settle back down yeah no absolutely um it was you know basically the same with me um but my first pregnancy um you know we discussed this on the previous podcast a little bit was was a nightmare like my mm -hmm. skin um was horrible it did it really deteriorated so much during that pregnancy and i was covered in blisters and open wounds from head to toe but having said that, I don't think all of um, that, that, you know, that flare up during that pregnancy was all EB related. I think a lot of it was emotions and a lot of it was stress and anxiety because my um, home situation was much different. You know, I wasn't married at the time. That pregnancy was not planned at all. Um, and things weren't great with, you know, the baby's dad and that kind of thing. And so I think a lot of that flare up was actually more stress related mm -hmm. um, than, than actually anything EB related. And, um, you know, obviously not knowing, you know, 
it was even worse at that time because it was the first baby and we had no idea they said to us um the chance was very high of baby having eb and um you know there was just not much education around what to expect and um what to do and i wasn't even part of the you know the eb lounge on facebook or any of the the online platform so i really had zero zero support um during that pregnancy and i think that impacted my skin horribly my second pregnancy was exactly like you said my skin was amazing it improved so so much i i think same as you i hardly had a blister during that whole pregnancy it was like mm-hmm. an odd one here and there my skin stretched amazingly well as well um i had i didn't have um an you know an a, an abrasion a corneal abrasion for the whole nine months that i was pregnant and my eye abrasions are pretty common like i have one sometimes once a week at least once a month um but during that time i went a whole nine months without having a corneal abrasion wow my even my um my dilations my esophageal dilations i could go without dilations um it's been now i've had my last one like i'm at the point where we get them done every 6 months mm. um and you know like clockwork when it's coming up to that 6 month point i can immediately feel the tightness in my throat and i'm not able to swallow as good and like i've got a book i know before that 6 months i've got a book and i've got to go in and get dilated but i've had my last one in december and i felt pregnant in may So my dilations would have had to be like sort of June July and we now October and my throat feels completely fine like it's not tight at all I've been eating fine so I'm you know I'm accrediting all of that to pregnancy because nothing else has changed mm-hmm. but pregnancy so it's amazing how I think I don't know if it's you know the baby hormones or if it's the increased blood flow in our bodies or what actually changes Um I know I've you know I've been reading online and they say baby releases um you know new stem cells and that kind of thing into our bloodstream as well and everyone goes on about you know the good effects of stem cells healing things and keeping things fresh and new and I really wonder if you know if if that's why pregnancy actually has such a good effect because I also see on like the online forums and stuff a lot of women have said the same thing that their skin um was amazing during pregnancy and afterwards did have the flare up like you mentioned and i was exactly the same after jonah was born um i had a huge huge flare up that just took forever to recover and i think like you said it's because our bodies go into such a shock mm-hmm. from all of the trauma of delivery and um you know everything's trying to go back to place now and it is you know you don't really realize the impacts of giving birth whether it's natural delivery or c-section whatever you know the effects afterwards are really the same mm-hmm. and um it's a real real shock to the system so i had it with both pregnancies that flare up afterwards was just the worst and um i think both times i felt like my skin never really went back to the way it was mm-hmm. post pregnancy that it always just got a little bit worse which is why i was so skeptical about even you know I'm not even considering having more kids because I know um the effects that pregnancy has afterwards on our EB and um the fact that it does deteriorate the skin to a point of where there's no coming back from it um and I think age has a big thing to do with that as well I think if you are having babies when you're younger your body does have more time to recover and is a little bit stronger But you know I'm 35 now and I just feel like with especially with the third pregnancy I'm really feeling the effects of being older mm-hmm. and being pregnant at this age as opposed to having you know my first when I was 24. Mm-hmm. Um so yeah this this just so many things to consider so um you know I would definitely encourage you if you you know obviously you are planning for a second pregnancy to prepare your body beforehand like I remember when I was I'm preparing for Jonah and I knew I wanted to have a second child like my doctor said said start taking prenatal vitamins mm-hmm. um and just you know keep your diet make sure it's as healthy as possible so start doing all of those things that you can do to best prepare your skin yeah. for not just pregnancy because we know skin's are good during pregnancy but for afterwards yeah and we know the flare up that's going to come afterwards so yeah I think it's expected and to just prepare um you know I'm doing that now as well to so just prepare for that as much as I can yeah Yeah, that's a great point. And like, yeah, I feel like 
I need to wait a while till my body feels like, you know, strong and kind of back to where it was before, before I could even think about um, trying or thinking about being pregnant again, um, to just give myself like a lot of time to recover because I think even just in general, like society kind of has this like bounce back mentality around like mothers and having babies and bouncing back and fitting back into your jeans and this and that and it's just like it's such a crazy major thing your body's going through and I think that we just need to all be like more gentle with ourselves and give ourselves more time to like rest and recover and you know it's okay not to to bounce back right away and to to take time you know like it's crazy like you know when you give birth after giving birth to your like placenta you have a wound in your stomach that's like the size of a dinner plate you know like that's right major so yeah it takes time and then I bet like especially for people with EB um you know I feel like the recovery time is even even like a little bit longer than you know the average average amount of time um yeah so no absolutely mm-hmm. and i think you'd also feel like especially you know when you like when you say when you're having a flare-up and you know there's a lot of wounds um how tired you get because i am exhausted you know if ever i'm having um you know periods of where i've just got wounding more than than i usually do i'm exhausted like i can't you know, I get up, I feel like I get up, I have breakfast, and I've got to go back to bed, because that's how exhausted I am, and I think it's just because of the amount of energy that our body spends on healing itself. Mm -hmm. Now, imagine coupling that with delivery, and the huge wound that you've got from your placenta, and, you know, your body's trying to produce breast milk, and all of these other things that's going on. I mean, both times I was exhausted after pregnancy. And you, like you said, the expectations are so high. Like they expect you to, you know, to go into immediate uh, mothering mode and to be taking care of their child and feeding and bathing. And, you know, I think for us, we've still got, got to spend so much time on taking care of ourselves mm-hmm. that um, I'm really grateful for the support system that I had you know, in my husband, and I think your husband is just as amazing, because I see your Mm -hmm. photos and the stuff you post, and, you know, he also seems, like, super, super supportive, Mm -hmm. but my husband steps in a lot of those times, and um, I think at the beginning, you know, I often felt emotionally, like, oh my gosh, like, you know, I should be doing this, and you put that pressure on yourself, Mm -hmm. but when you really start to feel it, when you, like, cannot get out of bed in the morning, and you've just run yourself down completely, and then you really can't, you know, there's absolutely nothing you can, you can do for that day. Then then I started sitting back and thinking, you know what, I've really got to spend more time taking care of myself and making sure my own energy levels are up, that I'm eating fine, um, you know, in order to be able to do what I need to do for baby in the long run. So I always say, you know, my, my advice with the little mothers is just accept the help and take as much help as you can. Um, because you really that recovery time is so so important yeah yeah and like there's no shame in like asking for help like you know sometimes I feel like after a break that I'm like even a better mom because I'm better rested and you know had some time to take care of myself and you know like we can we take better care of our babies after we take care of ourselves and are you know like in a have more energy and and just feel better, you know. So I think, I yeah, we're definitely both very lucky that we have like supportive partners that can help, like make that possible. And actually, yeah. something I was wondering is if you had any advice um, for moms with EB, or if there's like a message you have if someone with EB is like thinking about starting a family like what is like the advice or or words of wisdom that you might have to pass along to them I think it's such a a, an in-depth decision and it's different for everyone because everybody's you know everyone has a different type so the odds for each 
um, person is different. Um, I think if if I didn't accidentally fall pregnant the first time that I did, I probably would never have had kids because mentally I was just not prepared for the possibility of having a child with Evie. Like, like you know, after having known what I've gone through, like I, there was no way that I wanted to take that chance of of having another baby go through the same thing. And I think with each pregnancy, I still, I still go through that phase where it's like, you know, what if this has to happen? So I think from an advice point of view, it's just you've got to really, really give it a lot of thought and be prepared for the worst case scenario. Like you have to know, you know, um, it's either going to go, you know, yes, baby's fine or no, baby's not going to be fine. And you really have to sit down and think about, are you going to be okay for yourself if baby's not is you know baby has baby are you going to be able to to adequately care for baby and care for yourself at the same time um do you have good enough support system to be able to do that you know it's a lot it's a it's a really it's a lot to consider mm-hmm. um here we don't really have much like as you know we spoke about this earlier we don't really have much to, um in terms of testing and that kind of thing but i think that's you know with technology if the technology is there I would say, you know, do it. I think, you know, you mentioned you went through and you did um, IVF. And I wanted to ask, did you, um, or did they ever um, mention anything to you about getting the embryos tested? Because I know um, that that is possible. I don't know if they do it all over, but in certain countries it is possible to get the embryos tested for genetic abnormalities and that kind of thing. And so you can kind of see these are the good embryos and these are the ones that have abnormalities and stuff like that. So, you know, I think that's a lot to consider if you have the finances to be able to do those things, to rather do those things if you really are considering starting a family and you aren't sure, you know, what the odds are going to be. Also genetic counseling. Um, we did, I didn't do it with my previous two pregnancies, but with this one we did. And it really does put your mind at ease. It, it broadens your um, expectations on, you know, these are the possibilities. And it's not just, you know, coming down to Googling on the internet and seeing, okay, it's a 50% chance or it's a 25% chance or whatever it is. They really give you a lot more in-depth information and they look into the family history um, of not just you, but, you know, your partner's family history, your family history. Um, and they're really, really good about doing it. We do have now. We do have now have genetic counselors here in available in South Africa. Um, whereas I'm not sure a couple of years ago that they would have even been able to do that. You know, from an easy point of view. But I had a really, really good one mm-hmm. now that I worked with. So I think, you know, I would say use all of the resources at your disposal to try and make as an informed decision as possible because it really is such a big life-changing decision yeah well that's such great advice like I I love how you said that to just make like an informed decision like you know whichever decision ends up being right for you right like EB dealing with EB like you know everyone's situation is, is so different and each experience is so different um and so unique that, um, yeah, I feel like our community just needs to be open-minded and look into the options and, you know, support each other, whatever those options, you know, may, may be. And, you know, it's not easy decisions. And I feel like it's, it's can be quite a different experience than, uh, you know, a lot of others experience with pregnancy um like I found during pregnancy people were like oh my gosh like what gender are you hoping for and I remember I kept thinking like oh I'm not thinking about the gender I just want a healthy baby <laughs> like that right. you know was so focused just on like the health and on EB that mm-hmm. I didn't think a lot about the other like little things um so yeah but um that's interesting that you brought up um, the genetic testing with um, IVF because actually, so I don't even know if I've chatted about this on the podcast yet, but um, Josh and I were really thankful and we applied for funding to do um, PGD IVF. So that is like the genetic testing. Um, And we were 
just so lucky and received a grant um, from Deborah Canada. Um, That's another organization in Canada that helps um, people with EB. Um, So it was so amazing um, that we um, got that funding from them or or we wouldn't have been able to do it because the, the prices just for the genetics is just insane and it's also not even done in Canada so it has to be sent out of the country and even just dealing like with the shipping costs and this and that like it's just nuts so we were there you know I didn't really find anyone else actually with EB who's been through this process so it was a lot of trial and error to figure out like if it was even (laughs) going to work um and actually, we didn't have success with the um, PGD IVF. So we did have the embryos retrieved, and we had them tested, and we ended up having three EB-free embryos. Um, but I was never able to have a transfer because I had such terrible reactions to all the different IVF medications. So... Um, Sometimes I'm curious if it could be EB-related and my body just couldn't take it or if it could just be something completely different and not, you know, not good luck. But it's just hard to know because there's not a lot of other, you know, women. Like, I haven't been able to find anyone else with, like, DDEB specifically who's been been through the the process. Um, So, yeah, like, when I was on the medication, I would just get, like, infection after infection after infection, like, from skin infections to internal infections, um, and my body never did what it needed to do to be able to do a transfer. Um, So, it was actually quite devastating because I was told, you know, you know, you're probably going to have to have a surrogate if you want to have a baby. And I was just so, like, shocked about it. Um, But then we were doing, like, a last try, kind of like a natural cycle of IVF. And um, they said, um, yeah, like, we'll start testing you after, like, a week after your period because no one ovulates in the first week. But apparently I did because that's the only possible time that I could have gotten pregnant So Milo was a very happy accident because we were obviously trying to have a baby, Um, but it didn't happen through the the IVF. So then, of course, we were we were concerned about the the chance of EB. So it was quite the roller coaster um, and quite the surprise, which we were very thankful for. and we're still sort of willing to give it a try for the next baby with the three embryos we have. Um, but again, it's going to be trial and error with how we're going to do that because I, I can't handle um, like the normal drugs that they typically use for those procedures. So I'll have to keep you and everyone posted about it. Um, And I hope to maybe find some other people who have been going through um, like this process. And it will be interesting to hopefully like compile some information together to kind of figure out like if it is going to be like a real possibility for the EB community or if it might, you know, maybe not be something that the community has success with due to EB and, you know, our bodies potentially not reacting how they should. So, yeah, I don't know. It's all up in the air right now. So, wow, that that's so interesting. And because I, I had no idea, like, obviously, that you'd went through mm-hmm. all of this um, and you know, to have gone through that and then you get this miracle baby and he just happen, happens by accident naturally, I think. You know, I can't think of anything more fulfilling than that having happened, you know. Um, but yeah, like you said, uh, you know, I think that you, I'm sure in your mind and the rest of the community's mind with me, you know, is it an EB-related thing that the IVF drugs um, had that reaction to you or was it just something specific to your body because everybody's so different and obviously I've never been through um, 
uh, IVF or anything like that. My pregnancies were all completely natural. Um, and I, I would be interested to know if, um, you know, if it's something that's e-visualated or if it's something that was just specific to you. Um, and I think these things always come up because with this pregnancy, um, I had far more non-e-visualated things going on than actually anything that was e-visualated. So it was so funny at my 12-week scan, um, when I went in for my 12-week scan, you know, at 12 weeks you go and see the fetal specialist and not your normal OB. Yeah. So I went in and I saw the fetal specialist and she had told me that when she measured the size of my cervix, that my cervix was too short. And she'd asked, you know, was that a, a thing that I had in the previous pregnancies? And I said, no, it wasn't. Um, I didn't have, you know, any issues with my cervix in the previous two pregnancies. And I managed to carry to full time both times. And she said she was a bit concerned, you know, about the cervical length. And, you know, when I came home and I started Googling and I couldn't figure out, you know, was this something that was now age-related? Was it EB-related? Because pregnancy number three and to, to um, have something like this come up, like I was, you know, I was dumbfounded. Like, where did this come from? Um, and then a few days later, actually, I ended up in hospital and I had to get my cervix stitched because um, I started dilating. So the normal cervical length is supposed to be around, I think it's around 48 millimeters. And when she measured me at that appointment on Monday, my cervix was sitting at 23 millimeters, which was very, very short. Um, when I went in, I started cramping a few days later and I went in to see her and she measured my cervix. It was down to 13 millimeters and she said I had already started dilating. And like, I went into complete panic at that stage. I'm like, wow, 12 weeks. And she says, you know what? You've got to go home immediately. And I drove myself to that appointment. My husband was in meetings the whole day. So I ended up driving myself to that appointment because I least expected, you know, anything to be seriously wrong. Mm -hmm. And um, she said, no, you've got to go home and get straight into bed. And I'm going to phone your OB for you and set up, um, you know, something as soon as possible. We need to get you into theater today or tomorrow at the latest because you've already started dilating and at this stage you know if um, you continue dilating it's obviously going to be a loss of pregnancy because at 12 weeks you know there's no way of saving it and so I had to go in um, this was a Friday and I had to go in on the Saturday morning and um, they put in a, what they call a circlage it's essentially a cervical stitch so I set up, you know, that Friday night, Googling like crazy, trying to figure out if anyone else, you know, with EB who had given birth had ever had a stitch placed. And I scoured Facebook and, you know, the EB lounges and all of the online platforms I could think of. And I could not find anything or, or any information on um, anyone else having got this done and mm -hmm. I'm sitting there in a complete panic because I don't know what to expect in theater tomorrow. You know, I don't know. Obviously they're going to need to put instruments in and I didn't know if that was going to cause um, damage to the canal. Um, and then I'm worried about, you know, what if they place the stitch and it doesn't hold or my cervix ends up being too weak or the skin comes apart or, you know, like I was completely stressed. I had no idea what to expect after the stitch. Um, and then I went in the next morning and, you know, I'm, I'm not using the same OB that I used for my for my daughter. So he's completely new and he's not yet well-versed with EB. And, you know, we've kind of been saying, because this was only a 12 weeks, so I'd only just met him. And I've been saying to him, you know, don't worry, I'm going to educate you throughout. And, you know, we'll have a birth plan in place and all of that. And now he's got to take me into theatre. And he's never worked with an EB patient before. And he is completely stressed. The initiatist is completely stressed and we get in there and I'm the one, you know, having to teach because he's never placed a drip on somebody with EB before. So I had to take like dressings from home and Colban and that kind of thing that we normally use in theater because I know they're not going to have it there. Um, and then I coached the initiatist on how to place the drip. And then he's like, okay, in these kind of, of, of situations, we normally do a general anesthetic. Because the procedure is so quick, it's like a 10-15 minute procedure, that's how long they take to place the stitch, it's pretty pretty straightforward. Um, and I'm like, no, but we can't do general because, you know, I have a very compromised airway and getting tubes in is going to be such, a, such an issue and, 
you know, we don't want to have to stick with a whole nother problem afterwards. So he's like, okay, we can then just do the spinal block. So we ended up doing the spinal block, which is what they, they did um, previously when I had my previous two C-sections. Mm-hmm. So I was quite fine with that. And I, you know, told him, you know, don't drop the skin down and that kind of thing. And we did the spinal block and replaced the stitch. Um, and then I stayed, I think, just overnight and I was discharged the next day. But those few hours afterwards were like the absolute worst because I had no idea what was going on. Um, obviously, there was a lot of bleeding and that kind of thing. And you don't know if you're bleeding from the stitch or if you're bleeding, you know, because you're losing the baby. And mentally, it was just it was stressful. It was so, so stressful. Um, but thankfully, everything was fine. I, I came home and, you know, just complete bare dress for a couple of weeks. And then I went back and I had a checkup. I think it was two or three weeks after. And they checked the stitch and they said, no, it, it is holding. So I was like, oh my gosh, like, thank goodness, because mm-hmm. I had no idea uh, with EB if that stitch would even hold. Um, and now we're just hoping that it's going to be, you know, that it holds at least until viability, which is 24 weeks. But we're actually just hoping that it will hold towards the end and um, that I'll be able to carry full term and, you know, that everything just stays in place and baby stays in for as long as possible and to the end and if everything goes according to plan then when i go in for my c-section then they'll remove the stitch yeah at the same time but yeah that was that was like a real traumatic experience to go through because it was you know this whole new thing and then you still got to worry about you know what's the eb side of it and how's the skin gonna handle and i had no answers i completely went in blind and i was just hoping for the best mm-hmm Wow. Oh my gosh. That sounds like totally traumatic and like so scary. And I'm sorry you had to go through that. Like, I feel like EB takes a situation that would be really like scary and hard for anyone, but then puts a few other layers on top of that, (laughs) that, you know, makes things even like a bit more complicated and, you know, a bit scarier and a bit more, you know, there's always just more unknowns. Um, and it, it can also just be especially scary to n- not often find anyone with EB who's been through, like, a similar situation. Like, who knows? Maybe you're the first EB mama who had to go through that. Um, but I feel like it's amazing now that we have this, like, online platform um, that, like, you know, you know, you're openly sharing what you went through and you know, maybe that will happen to someone else in the community and they'll have someone to talk to about it and, like, maybe not feel as, like, in the dark as you did going into it. So that's something that, like, I'm definitely, like, thankful for in the EB community um, and with, you know, like, social media now and being able to, like, you know, chat with people from from all over the world. It kind of... Um, helps makes make us feel like a little bit more connected yeah no I totally agree um and same with you you know now that you've been through you know the process with IVF and stuff and you're also pretty open about sharing and that kind of thing Mm -hmm. I think it's so important that we continue to do this because you know essentially we're setting the next generation up and um, they have somebody that they can look for if, if for whatever reason we aren't around someday. Um, you know, they can always come back to to these instances and, you know, we've given a little bit of information and I think it just makes um, things a bit easier for them because I wish I had as much information, um, you know, prior to having had these experiences than I do now, than to kind of having to go in blind and not really knowing what to expect Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I think it's definitely important for us to continue sharing, you know, as much as we can about the experiences that we go through so that other people have more more information, you know, if they ever have to go through the same thing. Totally. Oh, my gosh. Well, that was so beautifully said, and I feel like that's a great place um, to leave off today. But once again, we have to thank you so much for being on the Mia Thrives podcast and for for sharing um, your experiences with pregnancy um, and EB. And we really hope that you keep us posted and that you'll hopefully be on the podcast again next season because we just um, we love chatting with you. 
I'm sure I will be. We, we, you know, we always have something to talk about. So I'm always happy to um, be on here to speak to you guys and to stay connected. And I definitely will keep you up to date and posted on what's going on. Um, and yeah, I think um, just you know keep an eye on my social media pages. We're doing some new things that I'm going to be doing um, come EB Awareness Week this year. So, yeah, some exciting things happening there. And, um, yeah, I think, you know, like I said, it's it's important to share experiences. And so I wanted to take that a little bit further. But I look forward to being on season four <laughs> whenever that happens. And I'm sure we'll have so much more to talk about. Um, there's always something new going on with us, right? Absolutely. And we will make sure um, to link your, um, your blog and your Instagram in the, in the notes of the podcast. Um, so if any of the listeners um, haven't checked that out, they can, they can head over there. Um, thank you again so much. It is always a pleasure. And thank you everyone for tuning in to this week's episode of the Mia Thrives podcast. All right, guys. Have a good one. Bye. 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 Okay. Bye.